Barbara Tuck's latest exhibition, Delirium Crossing, was formulated in response to an invitation from Ramp Gallery at Waikato Institute of Technology. The selection of works was not determined by the artist or a curator, but instead through a collaborative exchange with a multi-generational group of leading Aotearoa New Zealand art writers, curators, artists and art historians. These unique perspectives on Tuck's work were collated into the accompanying publication, which serves to deepen our appreciation of the paintings themselves, but also tell us something about how painting is understood in our times. At a panel discussion within the gallery space housing the 14 works in Tuck's Delirium Crossing exhibition, four of the writers shared and discussed the process and thoughts behind their essays in Delirium Crossing, the publication. Writing about painting was hosted by editors Christina Barton and Anna Miles, who, along with Susan Ballard, Lachlan Taylor and Hanaheva Rose, set out to explore what writers think about when they think about writing. About painting. And I really want to start the conversation by handing it straight back to Anna to explore uh, and explain how this project came into being, why you made the decisions that you made, and to what extent Barbara, the artist, was involved in that process. So over to you. Oh, thanks, Tina. Well, um, in, this is, in a sense, it's a snowball, this project. I mean, it started off quite literally, with an invitation, which was quite a small invitation from RAMP, the gallery at Wintech at Hamilton, and they really wanted to have an exhibition of Barbara's work. And um, they actually had asked once before. So (laughs) I was like, okay, these people are persistent. We're going to take them seriously. Mm -hmm. So Barbara and I drove to Hamilton to meet with them. And um, that was quite interesting to see the space. And lurking in the back of my brain was that if I was going to have to arrange a whole lot of loans, I really wanted there to be a publication. I mean, Barbara was born in 1943. There had been no publication devoted to her. So I was pretty determined about that. And I thought, well, there might just be a chink. There might be an opportunity for this. But we got there and um, we had a look around. And one thing that was very clear from Barbara's point of view was that she was not at all interested in a retrospective. And she did not want a kind of retrospective coherence cast over her oeuvre. Thank you. So that was interesting. So that and the fact that the space at Ramp was actually remarkably small, I don't know, on the spot I sort of thought, well, um, this show, this exhibition could be orchestrated as a platform for writing about painting. We're not going to actually get many paintings in here, but we could probably get a lot of writing. <laughs> so... Um, that felt, that was sort of the first decision that was made. And I guess all the other decisions that came along were really made in relationship to the distinctive qualities of Barbara's painting as I understood them. And it, I did talk about it, you know, a lot with her. I mean, she, I wouldn't have done anything that she disagreed with. I thought she should have a real say in this. Um, I think, crucially, the two things were she's been a reinventor as a painter, and actually this exhibition perhaps uh, underplays the extent to which she has been a reinventor because she's worked over lots and lots of different types of supports and um, she's worked at different scales. She's worked on unstretched canvas. She's worked on shaped aluminium. So these, this, um, this exhibition actually only tracks back as far as 1999. So it probably does 
give a bit more coherence than I was aiming at. Um, so she's been a reinventor. And the other thing is she's been much written about. And I suppose from the point of view of a dealer, I've always been a little perturbed that despite the fact she's been written about a lot, um, she still seems to remain stubbornly beneath the radar. <laughs> and um, I first showed her work in 2006, and many people came into the gallery and assumed she was a recent graduate in her 20s. And that was, there was a lot of that, and that went on for some considerable time. So I think it's a little sort of shocking to find out how little difference writing can make sometimes. That was one thing that I thought about in relationship to that. It didn't put me off trying to commission a whole heap more of it, but I was aware of that. So Barbara's been included in many curated shows across the course of her career, all the big painting exhibitions. I suppose if you started with Content Context of 1986 at the National Art Gallery, it wasn't actually a specifically a painting show, it was an art show, but from then on, the specifically painting shows, she seems to have been present in them. So her work has proved kind of uh, absorbent to many different curatorial strategies. So she was, Tina included her in 1992, Surface Tension at the Auckland Art Gallery. She was included in Alan Smith's 1995, a very peculiar practice at the City Gallery in Wellington. John Hurrell's 1996 skirting abstraction at the Govett Brewster, Jan Bryant's Snowfalls in the Mountain Without Wind in 2007, and then Natasha Conlon and others' exhibition, Necessary Distraction, Auckland Art Gallery, 2015. It's quite interesting, there's a sort of bubble of those shows exist in the 90s, and then they sort of dissipated. Okay, another thing that guided the way of doing it was Barbara's voracious reading. She's always impressed me as, you know, and as someone who reads incredibly widely. And Emma Fenton traced that, made a bibliography, which uh, contains all, she traced the references for all her titles of the exhibitions and the paintings. Mostly I was keen on the book because I, I teach um, in art schools and I've always thought Barbara is a really interesting model of someone who's very cerebral, but um, her reading has a very um, oblique relationship to her work. It often informs her in a sort of and it's an analogy to what she's doing in the studio. Her reading kind of confirms things for her. But I guess that was probably also a response to, I guess I went to art school in a very high theoretical moment when there was a hell of a lot of reading going on. And we were competing to read the most incomprehensible stuff we possibly could. Mm -hmm. And none of us had backgrounds in philosophy. And none of us could probably understand very much of what we're doing. Unfortunately, the consequences of that quite thrilling incomprehensibility was actually some pretty plodding and literal art, um, which had quite an illustrative relationship, I think, to theoretical texts. So I, that gives you a background to why I was excited by Barbara's particular mode of relating to textual material. So then you drew up a long list of writers and paired them with a painting, or did they have some input into that? Process. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I was keen that they had input into that. Um, I didn't want to curate this exhibition, and I liked the idea of an exhibition <laughs> that was kind of, it was open to what would come along, and it, but it was very interesting to think about um, who you might want to select to write. And I did think that 
I mean, we do. I don't think we are living in a world where there's a great deal of writing about painting, but we require some considerable head scratching to come up with 40. <laughs> a long list, Tina. <laughs> this is a generous estimation of this process. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, because she'd been written about a lot, there were a lot of usual suspects, you know, which I count you amongst that. And I would count people who'd had a long association with her, like Sarah Treadwell wrote for the book, and Sarah was, as an architectural theorist, was head of the architecture school at Auckland University. But she collaborated with Barbara a lot in the 1990s, so she knows her really well. So she was a usual suspect, but she's also now, she's a painter, so I like the idea she was a practitioner. Emma Smith was an, is the, the other painter who wrote. Um, so I thought it would be good to contrast the usual suspects with other points of view, and I thought that there are lots of reasons why Barbara's work could be interesting. And I thought it was critical, it, the reason, you know, Barbara's work is critical because it actually negotiates some pretty interesting questions. Um, and in this most recent iteration of her work, which you know comes after these series of paintings, I suppose she sailed pretty close to the convention of landscape painting, and she would never call it landscape painting. She would talk about she's a painter of, an, of environments, not landscapes, and she's pretty fierce about that difference. Um, so um, I guess. Um, you know, one of the um, some of the writers were people that obviously had very specific knowledge that would be really interesting in relationship to the work, like Rebecca Rice wrote, and I was fascinated what she might do because she was very very knowledgeable about the paintings of the Tarawera area, and um, she had studied. I mean, being a you know expert on the paintings, colonial paintings of that area and the touristic paintings of that um, area. She and Barbara has painted that area, this painting behind us, Spirit Terrace. So that was sort of a, a that was a good choice. Um, I, I can't think, oh, of course I was really interested in Nathan Puyol writing because I'd seen the amazing show that he did at the, um, Christchurch Art Gallery in about 2016, mm. um, which gave a Naitahu perspective on um, Canterbury, mainly modernist landscapes. And it was fantastic. It was like the subterfuge, amazing exhibition. You walked in and you just thought, oh, here we go again. And then you started reading the labels. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. Um, so, And the other people were chosen just for the very best reason, which was like, yeah, I thought they were really great writers, <laughs> really. And I was fascinated with their bandwidth and that they were much younger and maybe they didn't even know who Barbara was. So I was like, yeah, it's good. So the, the writings came in. They were edited and put together into the book and we're here now reflecting back on that process. One of the things, observations, is helping Anna in the, on the editorial side is that every writer was charged with the same task of writing about one painting by a single artist, and every writer came up with something completely different. And, you know, it's almost like a, um, a miscellany or, 
of, of different approaches to writing. And we've got uh, four of them here. And I think it would be very interesting to actually sort of delve a little bit more deeply into how people approach that challenging task. One of the most challenging tasks of translating something that you see that has material qualities into words in a way that is meaningful for a reader who can take something away from that. It's a, it, I think it's an intensely challenging proposition. But I guess one of the joys of the medium of painting is that it is endlessly open to multiple meanings, interpretations, approaches. Um, it very seldom can be closed down with one single approach, even if the painting is representational. Uh, and I think that's why painting has this very, very long history. Um, we keep going through these cycles of imagining that it's died or, you know, it's over and then it comes back and there's, you know, and the, the writing continues to embellish the work and to expand on the work. So we've got the three writers here and I'm wondering if each of you in turn might really describe to the audience your approach to the work that you were invited to write about. And I was thinking, given that Hanahiva's work is the first in the book, and that was the other challenge for us as editors, is to how to organise the texts so that the, the whole book has an, a kind of flow to it and there is a certain sort of um, gathering of, of, of writings um, and as you move through the book that I think has actually worked out, it actually worked out quite naturally and easily. But we started with you, Hanahiva. Um, so would you like to tell us a little bit about your process? Sure. I'm Hanahiva. I wrote about Bring Your Feet Across the Sky. And it was kind of scary picking an artwork to write about and knowing that hopefully it would form part of an exhibition. It felt, yeah, like quite a big job. And I was particularly interested in Barbara's most recent paintings, her paintings from 2021, which influenced by time that she spent in Te Waipaunamu in the South Island. So I ended up picking this one. I'm not entirely sure why. I read your interview with Barbara and she talked about intuition as a form of knowledge and that's something that I yeah hold quite closely, I think. So I think for whatever reason I picked this artwork and it did turn out to be the right one for me. But something I was particularly interested in with this painting is the way that unlike some of these other more recent works where you seem to have a kind of horizon line stacked vertically on top of each other so that you get this kind of stacked perspective. To me, this painting, is, it's, it's layers of a landscape that come from the canvas outwards. So rather than looking up or down, you're kind of looking back into space and there's this sense that behind one environment is another and you can just get a kind of glimpse of it. It's most clear with the mountain peaks there. But for me, I think that was what drew me to the painting and it was really an exchange with Barbara that kind of unlocked it 
for me. She talked a little bit about her travels and about the bird, which I was particularly interested in, but also about this idea of reciprocity. And I suppose the fact that all life exists in relation to other forms of life, human and non-human. And that kind of made me realise, I think, that Barbara and I approach the idea of the landscape in quite a similar way, where I think we both believe that in certain landscapes for certain people, you can be present in them and accessing its other histories, histories that you have not been kind of physically present within. And so it's that kind of idea which I was trying to grasp at in, in my writing, I think, by tracing some, some different stories, ki uta ki tai, from the mountains to the shore. And so you have the kind of southern Alps, you have the rivers, and then what isn't really present there is the ocean. But I was trying to think about, yeah, about some of the histories from Te Waipounamu that, that could speak to that. I'm really interested, there's a line in your text which says, the story of bring your feet across the sky is many stories defined by nothing so much as Tuck's appreciation for the capacity of the landscape to tell its own history. I think it's a lovely line and I think it's exactly what you're talking about. But I mean, for people who, who don't know how to look at pictures, I mean, how did you get to that? observation by looking at this particular work? Um, that's a hard question. I find looking at paintings quite hard, interpreting mm. paintings quite hard, and I always feel, I think it's partly because I feel like I don't understand how a painting is made, like I have no idea what kind of goes through a painter's mind when they're making a painting. Mm. And so it can be hard to to interpret them. And it took me quite a long time with this painting. Like, I had, I looked at it for a really long time. I went on lots of walks. I tried to kind of think through it really carefully. And I think, yeah, it's, for me, that sense of history in the landscape comes through most strongly in that kind of layering. Mm -hmm. Particularly, the thing that really draws me to this painting is the the Southern Alps and their presence kind of behind this body of water. Thinking again about intuition, I was really struck reading Nathan's text, and he talks about Ka Tiritiri o Timwana, which is the Southern Alps, and he tells the story that I didn't know about how they got their name, which is that um, when Maui was on his waka travelling there, they saw the Southern Alps, and people kind of pointed them out, and he said, Ka Tiritiri o Timwana, they're a reflection of the ocean, but they were, they were these mountains. And I think that sense of intuition, I don't think that's a story Barbara knew either, mm. but that it's, it's there. And I suppose so for me, trying to get into a painting is kind of just trusting myself to find these stories at various places in it. It's an incredibly hard thing to do, isn't it? Because it's counterintuitive. You're wanting each mark to mean something, but it, it, it isn't a one-to-one -one relationship at all. I mean, I, I, I feel with this work, the, there's a sort of spectral quality to the figures and that they're quite ghostly, and that suggests that they're not really there. So when you invoke memory as a particular frame for thinking through your reading of that landscape, it does have a sense that... 
um, the, the figures are present, but they might not be there in the time that you're experiencing mm. the work. So maybe that, that flow of time that, that she captures, that you can see, is embodied somehow in, yeah. in those And I think the figures. presence of the kind of human-sized bird releases the figures from our histories. So I don't look at them and think, are they Pākehā, are they Māori? I, they kind of seem to exist in this other space to me that is partly between human and animal. Mm. The final observation that I'd make about your text, which I really loved, is that, that um, as a good art history graduate, you, you, you demonstrate your um, research process so beautifully. You start by saying, you know, you approached the artist and she gave you some answers and then you went through the, the, her, her back catalogue and looked at other pictures. And then, you know, you read about the landscapes that she visited and there's this sort of cumulative research process that opens the way to um, the reading that you give. And so for anyone who hasn't read Hanahiva's essay, um, it's, a, it's an excellent reason for, for studying art history because it, I think art history gives you those tools, which is a nice segue to ask Sue to talk about her work because in, in many ways Sue's approach is very different, and I don't even know if it's art history. <laughs> and I'd love you to explain your response to, to this work here, to explain what you've done and, and, and why and how you approached this challenging task. Thanks, Tina. <laughs> I hope it's art history. Um, since it's the badge I wear at the moment. Um, sometimes, I guess, invitations come at the right time. And so I'd been working for a wee while on a text that wasn't working, that still hasn't worked, um, which was me trying to think through a very early essay by Robert Smithson, um, which he calls a, a geopoetics. And it's an essay that was published in 1970, and it's in strata, and so there's kind of like a poetic section, and then there's a line of strata, and then he goes Triassic, and there's another section. Um, it's one of his most famous essays, and I had this conceit that I could do something similar um, <laughs> and as part of a project which is about witnessing and thinking about geology and rocks. I mean, it all seemed logical, but I, I have not achieved it at all. So it was wonderful for this invitation to come, to go, oh, I think I can take something from this not working essay and turn it into an essay that might work. And then I had the second problem, which was that I was being asked to write about painting, which I don't do. <laughs> I don't write about painting. It's, I write about all sorts of other things. So I had to sit there for a while and think, well, how do I write about painting? And the way to do that was to, for me, was to print out a colour copy of the picture and carry it with me, which I did for two or three months, just carrying it with me everywhere in my diary. And like every time I opened my notebook, it was there, I would see it, I would look at it, I would think about it, I would share it with people. I do this often, try and sort of crowdsource how to write. <laughs> so it's like, what do you think of this? You know? um, and I showed my daughter and she's like, it's got a big jelly in it. And I was like, where's the jelly? And it was the birds and the trees that she thought looked like a, you know, a jelly. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I think the jelly even makes it into my essay. So 
the other reason that I was attracted to this particular painting and another reason I also felt like a bit of an imposter was that this is a painting made when um, Barbara visits the, the centre of Australia, the, you know, right in the middle around Uluru and the national parks around that area. And I think I had been asked because people knew that I had also lived in Australia. I never made it off the coast. <laughs> Like, I, <laughs> I never actually flew over this part of Australia, but I'd never stood on this land. To then, to write about something where I'd never been and I'd never stood on the land felt odd and uncomfortable. So I realised that all I could do would be to use my knowledge of country, which I knew, I knew the coast, and I, I know things about being on that coast to use that to think about being above country, looking down, because that was the other way that I knew this space. So I started to realise that what I was doing was this series of orientations, that I was starting to orientate myself in relation to the painting, in relation to thinking about strata, in relation to thinking about geology, and the very, very, very deep time histories of that place that I couldn't possibly ever know. So I realised that when I... <laughs> backtrack. When I first got to Australia, they had asked me to teach a course in Australian modernism. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> um, but I realised that I needed to learn something about painting in Australia. And in that process, I did quite a bit of work on thinking about artists like the European artists in Australia who had gone into onto country, like Fred Williams. And I can't what came to mind was this amazing essay I'd read that it explained how his paintings were all horizontal and painted horizontally and then they stand up and then suddenly you can understand Fred Williams' paintings by this kind of flipping between the horizontal and the vertical. And for me, it was like, oh, that's how I can understand Barbara's paintings. As I'm orientating myself above the painting, I'm looking down on it and it's kind of spinning. And that's where I got to the idea of, oh, I know how to write this now. I can write this according to compass points. So I can hold on to the strata, I can hold on to the, the diving down because there's a lot of depth in this work. But actually, what I decided to do, and I mean, this is one of the things that we do as writers that artists probably hate us for, is we invent our own way of reading the picture. So I decided to read the this painting as four strata going, what order do I go? North, west, south, east. And the, the four, each strata is actually, you're in the middle and you're turning and you're looking in a different direction each time. Um, so by, this is the, the structure of writing for me. And so once I'd kind of come up with a structure, I could then concentrate on what was in each place. And so in the north for me, what I called north, was this incredible jelly mould that um, when I talked with Barbara, it was actually, this is Giotto, um, this is St Francis speaking to the birds. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, I'd better do some art history. So uh, go find Giotto speaking to the birds and all the images of Giotto speaking to the birds, the birds are at his feet, they're not in the tree. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so, you know, each kind of moment you take it and you 
sort of dive, you know, you, you take it on a journey and then you come back and take another journey. Um, I was interested in the particular rock formations and so I talked with Barbara about these and we agreed that they were like but they weren't representational. So, and there was a lot of kind of conversation about that this is like this, it evokes this, but it isn't necessarily exactly this. And then the last part of the research process for me, which I'm going to admit in a public forum, involves an awful lot of Google. <laughs> um, and so what I wanted to know was what were the names of all of the trees and all of the plants and all of the rocks that were growing in this area. And because this is a, you know, a significant area, there's a lot of um, material online by the Aboriginal Land Council that details which exact plants grow in which of the crevices, the kind of these huge, deep gullies, which is really what Australia is. You, know, you go to the Blue Mountains to look down, not up. Just, everything's backwards there. So I spend a lot of time in all of these kind of, I don't know, geography sites and natural history sites and um, lists of trees and lists of rocks and working my way through all of that material. Um, but also one of the things I was very keen to do was to, to work with the naming and the language to get the correct language for each of the plants. So one of the things I talk about in the essay is that actually this is all a process of not knowing. Like, I don't know the language. The English language doesn't map correctly onto the Aboriginal languages of the place. This is all about layers and layers of not knowing. So that's kind of where I ended up after diving in Google. <laughs> it's your strategy is so interesting because you know that a whole group of paintings, the title of them was Alice Capricious Compass. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty interesting title. Yeah. <laughs> so the compass arrived. Yeah. It's mm. kind of there. Yeah. So for you, the painting is a prompt to that takes you to this particular place and you use the painting to approach that place and somehow learn about it. Mm. But also a time, because you talk about deep time too, don't you? You have a sense of the, the age of the landscape. So it's not just a place, it's also a time. Mm. How does time factor in your... I think part of what writing about this painting enabled me to do was to reflect on my time in Australia and to reflect on the sense that of the difference between Australia and New Zealand, which is what I'm always struck by. And that, that difference is a geological time. You know, there's a geological difference in terms of the age of the rocks in each place. But also human time is incredibly different as well. You know, when you're talking about 60,000 years of human habitation or... 800-ish years of human habitation. You've got two very, very different stories happening there. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in geological time and the way that helps us think. But I'd also say I don't want to... I don't want to seem like I'm extracting things from the art, from the painting. Like, I, I think... What paintings help us do is they help us think. They, they give us ways of thinking and ways of knowing. They're, they're contributing knowledge 
themselves. And so I don't see what I do as an extractive process. I, I hope it's not. Um, I'm quite conscious about that. That actually it's one form of knowledge that's allowed me to think these ideas through. So it's like a gift that Barbara's given me to help me think this through. Um, and hopefully mine sits alongside hers, keeps it company. I have one more point before we move on to Lachlan, but uh, formally, in terms of the writing itself, I, I would recommend the book and the, and the essays in them because, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed by the calibre of the writing. But, but there's a, there's, in your work, Sue, there's a, some really interesting literary devices or gestures that you make. One is the imperative. You, you tell us to do things. And then the, the personal pronouns, I feel like I am being spoken to by your essay. So each of the, when you get to a compass point, you then tell us to do something. You say, take time, take care, take another breath, take notice. You know, those are, these are, they're like little sort of incantations through the text. So there's a, there's a kind of formal quality to your writing and, a, and, in, and some instructions. But who's, who are you writing to? Who is the you and who is the we of your text? I don't think it's that distinct. Um, sometimes I think <laughs> when I'm saying take care, I'm saying to, to myself, yeah. <laughs> you know, take yeah. a breath. Um, yeah. yeah, what do you do at this point? I'm, sometimes I think I'm writing back to me mm -hmm. um, while aware that there is always going to be a reader mm. out there. I don't, it's an impossible question, who's the reader? Mm. I think we all write with our reader. I was hoping that Barbara was the first reader, that I was writing in conversation with her. Mm. We'd had a great conversation on the phone about what it felt like to be in this place. And I think some of those words come from our conversation mm. as well. Mm. Interesting. Lachlan, Dipping Mortal was your pick. Why did you choose it? And how did you approach the challenge of writing about it? Why did I choose it? it actually, it took, it took me a little bit to to come to a painting, actually. There were some other ones I was sort of looking at. But in the end, I think why I chose that one was because it's so weird. And, like, like, it's just really nuts. And it felt, I don't know, interesting in its weirdness. And I, and I wanted to, to spend some time with that. And, um, yeah, write on it. But it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a really weird thing to, to talk about writing uh, for this essay because... How I wrote this is like not how I write at all. I kind of broke most of my rules in it. In that, <laughs> like, usually, or ideally, uh, I write in deep conversation, if not collaboration, with the artists, and I do heaps of research. And I think there was something about being one of 14 that I kind of gave myself permission to just not. <laughs> and, like, and I wouldn't have done that, I think, if it was just... I was the only person writing, but sort of being one and amongst all these other writers, I went, well, what if I sort of just did a hot take or like a record? And so it's like, I was like, I was a very naughty boy. There's no citations in my essay or, or anything like that. It was, I wanted to just see what 
coming at it would be like in this different way. And I was also kind of a little bit put into that position by really struggling with, with this one because in choosing such a kind of odd piece and when I, I got assignment very graciously, let me come see it at Massey and I spent some time with it and I was like, I've got nothing. And sort of nothing, <laughs> nothing really came to me. And so I, it, was, it was really, really hard. And I ended up, yeah, being like, you're doing all the things I don't do. And another thing I don't do is particularly care about a, a title. And in this, this is, my piece is all title. I sort of, I looked at it and it was, it, was, it was dipping mortal. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, the first thing I had, I was like, that's probably an Achilles reference, right? And, and then I was like, okay, what does it mean if it is? What does it mean if it isn't? What does it matter if it isn't? And just sort of let myself use that as a window or lens through which to write the piece. And so, you know, the questions that follow are like, well, what's interesting about that? What can I say about painting or this painting through that lens? And that led me to the idea of allergy and the idea of allergic landscapes. And that when I was there, I was finally like, hey, that's something that I can kind of resonate with, with this painting. I can understand it through. And so I felt like I had to do heaps to meet it. And then when I finally did, in this way that I don't usually write, it sort of came out quite easily. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what else to say. It was, it was part sort of writing exercise, part just memory and art history in that odd way and, and ended up being quite fun because fun's a big value for me in writing and um, I managed to have a lot of it with this one, so that was really cool, yeah. Um. Before we, before we go on, I'm just wondering, Anna, you ran everything past the um, past Barbara, didn't you? The, the, the drafts when they came in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what were her responses to, to the essays? And Well, she was incredibly welcoming uh, of it. Like, I think she would have, um, you know, she, she didn't feel like there was any need whatsoever to edit anything. She just like let them have their way. This is great, you know. Bring it on. Uh, yeah, no. She was she was um, really just interested in what. And I mean, everyone did hit upon things that were incredibly important to her, like your whole classical um, delving into um, yeah, uh, I suppose the Arcadian um, trope was is something that's incredibly interesting to her and something she's she's looked at a lot like she's mad about Poussin's paintings and that sort of thing so it kind of it, there was just so much resonance yeah I mean I suppose one thing I was very nervous about was that people would feel constrained because there was this sort of idea that you were going to select a particular painting that I didn't want people to feel that this was kind of you know we're enforcing a kind of fine-grained close reading on people, and uh, I mean, some people did take very a lot of latitude in relationship to that. I suppose probably one the other artist, Richard Freighter, is probably the example of the most license being taken in, in regard to that. And Jan Bryant, she wasn't um, cordoning off her discussion to one painting particularly. I thought that was really good. Like I didn't think that people should wear that, but on the other hand, I was quite interested in sort of just flagging that one because. Uh, I don't think that we get enough kind of, I mean, I was really interested in it 
being Barbara being a painter, painting and writing about painting seems to demand a kind of engagement with materiality that perhaps is often gets dropped off in writing about other art. I don't think it should get dropped off. I think everything like writing's a craft, painting's a craft, everything's a craft really when you get down to it. But um, I think it we we often we put a lot of effort into content and not a lot of effort into visual language. So that was the challenge of this kind of book, in a way. That was like, I was just saying, that was like part of the, the, the joy of this for me, is the way that a painting, especially when you're talking about a single painting, makes you get real first principles about it and makes you get real undergrad art history about it a little bit in quite a really great way because I'm always so, you know, when you're writing, you're always so hungry to get to like the red meat of what a work does that it's quite easy to skip over what a work is and these paintings, especially Barbara's, you just have to sit with it and say what it is for a while and that's really cool. I, I mean, I wrote about Iris Gate, which is the earliest work in the show and quite different from the others. It's, you know, it's multi-part, it's not square, it's not on board and it doesn't have immediate references to the landscape. So, you know, mine was the odd one out and it's painted a little bit earlier than these, these, these subsequent series. And, you know, I, I got assigned this work. <laughs> I didn't pick it. Did you know, I think my memory was that you did. You said, oh, I want to I write about remember, that one. But it, I felt like I was burdened with this responsibility to understand this particular work. And I, I have a very strong sense of the larger mission of what art history sets out to do. And I'm very old-fashioned in that I understand that the role, one of the roles of art history is to, it's a very tricky one, to actually uh, explain an artist's work in relation to the times in which it is made and to believe that an artist is not only exploring their own language but they are actually giving expression to something that is intrinsic to their times. And that's assumes a certain sort of causality which has been debunked by clever theorists writing in the 1990s through the era of postmodernism. But I sort of feel that I have a responsibility to both position the work within a history of painting and to understand how it might inflect our understanding of the, of the times in which it was made. And those are really big things that take you out of close reading, um, but the only way to get to those observations is by close reading. And so I, I felt quite sort of funny when I read the, the contents of the book to realize how old-fashioned my approach was uh, because it was still trying to do something um, to place Barbara's work into a continuum of painting, into an argument about painting, into painting uh, what it felt like to be a painter in the 90s, and to ask those questions of the work, which, you know, it's, it's highly speculative what conclusions you can draw, but, you know, that's, that was the challenge that I kind of set myself which is a different challenge to the challenges that perhaps you are setting yourself when you think, okay, I've got to write about this. 
right? Yeah, yeah, and, and definitely in the sense of, of specific time-based context or something like that. But, I mean, my sort of key, I guess, belief about, I don't know, art <laughs> is that, you know, um, it both speaks to and affects this incredibly broad cultural landscape and at the same time it listens to and is affected by the cultural landscape and that's that can be as deep as you can make it mm -hmm. and that was sort of why an analogy and metaphor are so important to my writing and sometimes the weirder the better because it's about making those engagements across culture and space and so for me writing about classical content and a painting made in 2014 was kind of a way of exactly doing that kind of contextual work. But you had, Pus I mean... Yeah, I had Poussin. Not 90s paintings, but like, yeah. like but, but for, me, for me, it was, it's a, a, another side of that, of that coin, which was bringing cultural context to the work, but just not necessarily mm. what it meant mm. to be a painter in the 90s. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's so much that yeah. could be said. Yeah. Uh, and so many ways of doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that um, my way is the right way, but that's kind of the way I've been trained, and I still take great pleasure in, in coming to some conclusions about things that I feel do position the work historically. The only thing that's very um, consistent in what all of you have said is that you've been very, very observant about the painting. And it's like, I mean, I'm a, I often think about this because we get told so regularly in, in different settings that description is drudgery, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's only description, people say to you. And it's like, well, actually, really, you know, to actually describe something very accurately is very hard and it's very important because it's actually the first step in an interpretive sort of process, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I heard a, a great line for um, what an art writer, uh, particular art writer, set out to do, and they described it as motivated description. And I thought that was a really good way of putting it because it, you you can just describe something, you know, endless lists, and that you know, where do you start? Do you start with the materials, or do you start with the the, the content, or do you start start with where do you begin? You could go on and on. But in the end, your description is going to deliver you to a conclusion or to an insight or to um, the shape or form of the, of the text that you write. Um, you're, you're using it to get somewhere, to get to where you want to go with the, the piece that you're writing. So, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not just... Um, that's a good question. Do you know where you're going to go where, when you write? I don't, I, I don't. I don't know how to start often. That's the hardest thing in the world. But once I know where to start, it takes me where I have to go, you know? I think it's interesting that we all said one thing that was exactly the same, which was that we spent time with the work um, in different ways. Mm. Um, and that there was a point after spending time with the work that we felt that we could start. Like I heard both Hannah Heva, actually we all said it. <laughs> like we spent time with it and then we worked out when to start, which I think is really interesting because actually the writing, of course, had started long before then. It had mm. started in the looking. 
that thing about description. You know, I, I think description is the number one most important thing um, that any of us can do. Um, and so it starts in the looking, and that's where we actually started, was by spending time with it and by looking. The work led us in this direction. Mm. Um, the other thing I was going to say in relation to your comment about the 90s, Tina, is that what I think an exhibition like this does is bring any exhibition, it brings everything into the now. Like, mm. we're sitting amongst them now. Mm. So the, the, every artwork that we ever engage with is time-travelling. You know, it's moving between when it was made and the experience we have of it in this moment mm. and the experience we're going to have of it at some point in the future. And I think that, particularly in this show, can't be ignored either. And I think that a lot of the writing works with that kind of shifting time-space thing as well. Um, and so by, you know, by being obedient to the 90s, um, the way that you describe your writing, it's actually still time-travelling. Oh, yes. You know, well, it's I'm not looking actually, back. I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm here now. Looking back. Trying yeah. to um, say something about the past. Yeah. But from very much from now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I talk in my text about the... I say everything is happening at once, and I suppose that's how I kind of think of time operating in that painting, is that where that everything is happening at once. <laughs> it's now, but it's also a long time ago, and it's kind of possibly the future, who knows, and it's a time that we kind of can't access. It's all of those things at once, and so I think, I mean, part of the slipperiness of that is that I think you know, my description of that painting could quite likely be unlike someone else's. That part of the magic of Barbara's paintings is that they're so kind of descriptive that I don't know that you kind of fully can describe them in words. There's so much to them, and I was so delighted to find out that she is a big reader of Natalia Ginsberg because I think in a similar kind of way she's someone who manages to load you with so much close detail that you forget that there's this whole kind of integral, what you would think to be an integral part of the story missing, or that there's always these gaps. And, yeah, I think this kind of, to me, it's just like everything is happening at once. <laughs> that's, the, that's it. I often also try and find, you know, that to start writing when you don't know what you're going to say, you, you look for the hook or you look for something, a way in. And it, that, that is clearly from all of your descriptions, each of us found a way in that was our own. But sometimes I look for the thing that um, is the problem or a question or... You know, the fact that with Iris Gate, Barbara painted them in 1999, but she didn't show them till 2014. And to me, that was very curious. Why would you not show them? What was the problem that she held them back? Uh, and then I thought about the notion of a gate and what is a gate? You know, it's a gate is a way in, but it also is a barricade. It can keep you out. And I wondered, you know, so then I began to play with those things. So there were factual components of the work, 
beyond their physical appearance that became the sort of key that I could use to sort of find my way in. I mean, are there, uh, do you see the, um, your processes looking for, you know, a problem or, and that you're going to then solve? Or, you know, what, how do you launch into these? I think it's different for each project. Mm. For this one, I had a, I actually had a huge sense of responsibility. I wanted to be responsible to the artist. Mm. I wanted to take care. <laughs> I tell myself, take care. Mm. <laughs> um, I wanted to, and because I hadn't written about painting for a really long time, I, I had to start in the top right-hand corner. Mm. <laughs> and I just started in the top right-hand corner and I've just got, I've got thousands of words just saying there's a blue sky and there's a red rock and just like writing my way into it mm. was, yeah. Mm. So I don't think I necessarily, it was about finding an answer to a question. It was about forming a relationship with the work mm. to start with. I did, when I, um, slightly similarly, I also felt, I realised today, I was like, I don't need to write about paintings, and then I thought about it, and I write about painting all the time. But <laughs> I was, I, so, so I, before I knew what my connection with the work was going to be, and in and, and total opposite to you, I let myself be incredibly irresponsible, um, which was also very hard, but um, I just wrote the whole thing. Um, I wrote everything that was in the painting. Um, and some of that made it into the essay and most of it didn't. But that was sort of uh, the only way I felt I could attack a, a painting like that. And then when I knew what I was writing about, I saw what bits fit and what bits didn't. But I just needed to yeah, look at the whole thing and then put that looking into words. Yeah. So there's a big silly word document somewhere on my computer yeah. with, yeah, just all of it. <laughs> I think for me, I mean, the birds were kind of a false start in a way. Like, yes. I thought that looking back at the birds might tell me something about the presence of the bird in this painting and kind of help me to understand it. And they didn't kind of take me where I was expecting to go, but they did, um, they were the key to that, that question of reciprocity and that idea of Barbara's. So... So I felt like they should stay, <laughs> like I wanted to be honest to them. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, looking back that far. And because I work at Te Papa, I, you know, one of the first things I did was look at what works by Barbara we have in Te Papa's collection. And one of them is this quite unusual painting of a man cradled between an albatross and a seal. And I think it's from the late 1980s. But it just, it really surprised me because it was so unlike what I'd been looking at. And so I wanted to kind of, I wanted to gesture to those works and point to these kinds of ideas being present in them. But yeah, they didn't, I couldn't give them the kind of depth that I initially expected to. I thought that that was very, I'm glad you retained the bird discussion because one of the things it revealed, which is quite interesting, is that you had this discussion with Barbara on email and she sent you this photograph of herself <laughs> with the bird on her head. And I thought it was like, I mean, it was quite a, 
I it mean, was that's lovely. a very typical thing for her to do. <laughs> and, yeah, and you received it really well. But it did actually speak quite a lot about her relationship to the writer. And yeah. it, it just like, you know, she she was very relaxed about it. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, was, she wasn't... You know, she wasn't trying to tell you things to say. No, I know. In the least. It was so funny. Her email, it was kind of like, like I talk about it because it did unlock this thing, but it was also at first kind of like a riddle. Like it was yeah. quite yeah. difficult to decipher. And there, there was all of these references and kind of pictures, like really zoomed in pictures from paintings. So it would take me quite a long time to figure out where they came from and sketches and things. But it was, yeah, such a wonderful insight into her thinking. In the end, we put the picture that she sent you in the book because we thought, and we didn't know how to put it in the book. Actually, that was really funny because it was such a low res. <laughs> so it was like the designer would be like, oh no. So I just got Sam Hunt and the photographer to take a picture of it on my phone because Barbara's really quite obsessed with phones and how everything comes to us through the phone now. And so I thought, hmm, you probably got it through the phone, that picture. <laughs> I, um, I actually hadn't seen the show until today, and so I came up before to have a look. I was kind of, I was preparing to ask myself that question, would I have said different things about this painting because I had only seen photographs of it. And I decided that no, and I think it's, it's the same for your question, that I, I feel that by whatever kind of stroke of luck, it's, it all sits really well together and the, the stories that are being told, they create this kind of very interesting and complicated whole. And I'm so delighted that the show is going to the South Island mm. because I think the presence of, of the South Island in these works is really powerful. And a lot of people in their essays reference the Naitahu Atlas. You know, when mm. we think about the resources that are available to us now in the context that we're writing and I think that's a really important one because it's completely changed the way that we kind of think of mapping um, in that area. Uh, I was going to say that one thing that, another thing that was part of the, the, the joy for me and that made this really work was the fact that this is a group of 14 writers. Just I don't think any of us would have written the essays we did if it was one writer doing the show or doing one work or anything like that. I know I would have written a completely different essay with a different methodology and, and all the rest of it. And I definitely throughout the writing process was constantly slightly preempting myself and being like, let's not say all the top line stuff because that's going to be communicated across the body of these texts. Like that's going to get across somehow. I don't need to be doing Barbara Tuck as a painter kind of thing, you know. <laughs> um, and that only can work, and it works like and I just said, kind of like as a gestalt, really. In the end, that that all that stuff gets communicated by this coming as a group. That just would not have happened um, without that dynamic. Yeah. Well, thank you all for your attention and being here tonight. Thank you, speakers, uh, for coming together. It's been great fun talking about this wonderful exhibition. Thank you, Anna, for making it all happen, and thank you all so much for coming. Thank you.